You are listening to ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle, host of Everyday Family Medicine. I have the honor of having Dr. William Bagracos joining us today. He is clinical professor of military science, family medicine, and emergency medicine at the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. He's also an assistant professor in military and emergency medicine at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. And he currently serves as the president-elect for the American Osteopathic Academy of Addiction Medicine. He has recently contributed to an article in the magazine, The DO, entitled Caring for Veterans. His current interests include supporting the White House Joining Forces Initiative and current drug policies through medical education. Dr. Bagracos, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, ma'am. Well, I'm excited to start chatting with you uh, today. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about your experience, but also how we can care best for our veterans. But could you first start out by telling us briefly about your experience in the military? Well, I had a military scholarship with the Air Force, and I served with the Strategic Air Command for 10 years during the Cold War. Then during Desert Storm, I joined the Army, and I served with the Army for 18 years, uh, retiring at Walter Reed. I was chief of clinical operations. I was the chief for the Warrior Transition Division for the North Atlantic region. So that that is FEMA 1, 2, 3, and 5. So that's 22 states. And my job was uh, to provide oversight for primary care rehabilitation of soldiers as they moved from the Army, as they transitioned into the civilian and VA medical care. Um, I'm also a, a Naval War College graduate. I, have a, I hold a, a MA in National Security. My interest in my research was in uh, narcotics, narco-terrorism and irregular warfare. And I also, I worked for the VA for three years. And uh, I think what's more important is that I'm a son and nephew of uh, World War II vets. So that influenced my behavior and my, my military history. I'm board certified in family medicine and emergency medicine. And my operational experience includes uh, Air Force flight surgeon, Army flight surgeon. I was a battalion surgeon, a division surgeon. I'm, I'm a primary care physician. I think after 30 years, I best describe myself as a trauma rehab physician. So when I was younger, as a, I trained in New York City. And again, I had Air Force scholarships. So I trained in East New York, and I survived... Uh, so the Air Force sent me to survival school for four years, and I, I was out in Fairchild, at Fairchild, Spokane, Washington, where I was the EMS director for uh, the POW school. So that survive, evade, resist, escape the SEER school. So I had that exposure early. Well, that's something I kind of wanted to ask you about was, I mean, you have this this wide breadth of military experience, and you certainly are, um, if anyone knows about veterans' needs, um, it would be you. And I, I wanted to ask, you know, talk to us a little bit about the importance of understanding and even seeing the veteran patient's unique health care needs. Can, can you talk about that importance? 
You know, the Office of uh, National Drug Control Policy describes the veteran as a special population. And as you know, Mrs. Obama and Mrs. Biden um, pushed the Joining Forces Initiative in 2011. So all of our deans have been given guidance to teach the next generation of physicians about veterans. Um, again, they, they mainly focus on uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. The unique um, needs of our population, veteran population, is just that understanding of our service and appreciation. And I'm not talking about just the young troop of today. I'm talking about the 90-year-old World War II vet who deployed for the duration of the war. And I'm talking about the Korean vet. And I'm talking about the Vietnam vet who came home and uh, they weren't as welcome as the Desert Storm desert, uh, veterans or the veterans today. The Referencing the article in the, in the DO, one of the other physicians talked about public health threats. So as an operational physician, whether you're a flight surgeon, a young flight surgeon, a young um, 03 captain, or a young 04 flight surgeon, or a battalion surgeon as an 05 uh, lieutenant colonel, or a division surgeon, you have to brief the boss i.e. the general or the admiral, on public health threats. So in the article in the DO, they talked about uh, some of the public health threats in central command, but you're, pretty, you're, acting, you're actually acting like a team physician, except your away game is in a different country. My next question actually is kind of going along the lines of physicians who are taking care of veterans, um, because this is something that's very important. And you know, I really liked how in your last in the last question you were talking about the the importance of understanding the veterans' role in their service, how they served, how long they served, um, and really sort of appreciating the ranges of service that our veterans have. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how to start the conversation with our veteran patients? How do you bring up this conversation and start talking about their service as, you know, we're physicians in the office? How do you recommend us do that? Uh, My recommendation would be in your occupational or social history, just ask. The New Hampshire Health and Human Services has a program called Just Ask. And when you have a new patient, when when you're doing your history and physical, just ask if they've, if they've been in the DOD or in the Coast Guard. And with that, that leads into other questions such as how long were you in and what did you do? So it's, you're looking at occupational hazards, actually. So if you're an electrician, my dad was an electrician in World War II in the Pacific on the ship, and he um, developed asbestosis. No surprise. So you could ask if troops were, when you're a young paratrooper, you're having fun. But when you're 40 years old, you have a, a, a cumulative stress of, on your, of, of the spine. Plus, when you're talking to troops who might be infantry troops or transportation troops, 
and they have deployed, and they have been outside of the camp or outside the wire. Ask them if they've been exposed to blast. So it's basically an occupational history with, that, you're, that you're taking with the veteran population. I received care in the DOD because I'm a retired colonel, so I received care at Walter Reed. But because I, my job was moving soldiers into the VA, I moved myself into the VA, so I received VA care as well. That's really interesting, and I kind of like how you're you're really almost equating this to taking an occupational history. Um, and along those lines, I know one of the things you think is important is really knowing where a veteran was deployed. Can you talk to us about why that's so important? Malaria. Malaria is a good example. Um, so anybody with a fever over 104, malaria has to be ruled out, right? Uh, when you're talking to the Vietnam vets, you know, were they brown water Navy? Uh, were they on the river? Were they in theater? So now this brings up another threat, uh, which we remember as Agent Orange. So these are some of the occupational or exposure threats. And that gives you a good segue into asking the veteran, did you take your DD-214 to Veterans Affairs? And are you being seen in the VA? So veteran health and veteran benefits. So that gives you a good segment to be their physician and ask the question about the VA health care. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and I'm speaking with Dr. William Bagracos, Clinical Professor of Military Science, Family Medicine, and Emergency Medicine at the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. So, Dr. Bagracos, in the next segment, we're going to be talking about a couple of things, uh, not only um, the physical ailments that veterans might experience, but we'll touch a little bit on mental health issues. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the VA clinics and our referral to VA clinics. Let's go back a little bit and, and start with, you know, physical ailments. You, you mentioned a little bit in the first segment, but what are some types of things that you're thinking about um, when it comes to physical damage a veteran might experience? As I mentioned, I was an operational physician, so as a battalion surgeon, I briefed the battalion commander. As a division surgeon, I briefed the division commander, who's a two-star general. So in this threat briefing, before we deploy, I tell the general that the threat, the medical threats include not just infectious disease, but trauma, i.e. blast mechanical trauma, and penetrating trauma. So in today's conflict, the number one concern is blast injury. So were you exposed to blast? And then what happened with this blast? Was it just the shock wave of the blast? Was it just the primary blast wave? Or was there shrapnel? Or did you were you mounted, i.e., were you in a vehicle, or were you dismounted? Were you on foot? And with this comes shrapnel, comes, comes uh, uh, the mechanic of flipping your vehicle, and, of course, with this comes psychological trauma. So those are some of the things that, that we ask, that we ask about when we're interviewing patients 
after after we establish good rapport, of course. You kind of segued into mental health issues and mental health. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the mental health issues that practitioners might encounter with, with veteran patients? The White House Initiative, Joining Forces Initiative, is focused on post-traumatic stress disorder. And they focused on post-traumatic stress disorder as a anxiety disorder, i.e., DSM-4. Today we refer to the DSM-5 and we talk about trauma and stress-related disorders. But anybody who's who's done any work in trauma or disaster medicine knows that it's more than just PTSD. Some of the threats include PTSD, anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, and of course substance use disorder. 50% of your patients with PTSD will self-medicate, and alcohol is still the number one choice of self-medication. The new threats will be, be, you know, the medical cannabis, and then, of course, the patient who goes to multiple physicians and uh, misuses opiates. That brings us up to one one more point. A soft point, actually, is asking the patient early, how are you sleeping? And so they may say good, they may say not so good, and if they say not so good, ask them about nighttime rituals. Now, there's a difference between meditating and, and having uh, a fifth, half a fifth before you go to bed. So mm-hmm. sleep is very important, and sleep, if you can address leap, you can address multiple other uh, medical problems. Lots of physicians will refer to the sleep specialist, but you need to address the question. You know, does the patient have obstructive sleep apnea? Does the patient have uh, problems falling asleep, maintaining sleep? Does the patient have a light sleep which is associated with anxiety disorder or substance abuse or PTSD, right? That light sleep, sleeping with one eye open. So that's something to talk about. And if you can address sleep, if the patient has a mild sleep apnea and you can treat that patient with a CPAP, then you can treat the hypertension, the GERD, and decrease medication and to include the psych meds. So those are some of the things I think about and talk about and ask about. Right. No, I, you know, I think those are, I'm I'm really glad that you were specific about, um, you know, those items. I think that um, it really does bring to light very specific things that need to be thought of. And, uh, you know, I can see how sleep may not always be addressed maybe at the same level that we address other things, um, but certainly it can play a role in, in, you know, the person's health in total. So I, I definitely appreciate that. What I do want to talk about now is VA clinics. And, you know, what are your thoughts? Should healthcare providers really, uh, should they refer patients to VA clinics? Now, I know you mentioned that you um, have been seen at a VA clinic, but can you talk to us about, you know, what healthcare providers should do and if we should refer them there and why or, or why not? Well, again, from 2005 to 2009, my job was working with the warriors in transition. So soldiers, particularly my focus was soldiers, but because I'm an EMS physician, 
my friends in the community in the emergency room or in law enforcement would call me about other troops who got into trouble like Marines or sailors, etc. When you're a physician, a civilian physician, and you have a veteran, you need to be a patient advocate. And it's easy enough to say, do you have a DD-214? What is the DD-214? A DD-214 is the most important piece of paper that a vet can get and hold on to because that's part of your discharge paperwork. And with that, you get your VA loan, you get your VA benefits, and your VA health care. So you do have to enroll. You have to enroll. Today, it's much easier, much smoother than it was during uh, Vietnam periods. So today, on your way out, you are transitioning, but you still have to go to that VA, whether it's in Baltimore, Maryland, or Manchester, New Hampshire. And with that DD-214, you enroll, and then you have your first visit. So as a patient advocate, that's important to ask the question. You're not going to lose your patient to the VA. You're going to work as a team. And the way healthcare is now, we have to be team players because we just don't know enough. Individuals don't know enough. So that's important, and sleep is a great example. So I'm a primary care physician, but I know that with proper CPAP, that patient will change his or her brain, sleep better, and I can decrease my hypertension meds, I can decrease my GERD meds, and I can decrease my psych meds. So VA healthcare is important in that respect. And it gives the veteran an opportunity to explore. And, you know, sometimes the vets are comfortable with other vets. So another point about VA healthcare that people don't know that much about is the vet center. So each, if you go to va.gov and look at vet, V-E-T, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, you can find vet centers in your state. And at the vet centers, there's really no documentation of your mental health complaint or your stressors, if you will. So you can go, you can have group, a group of chat diffusing, and you won't be afraid of a paper trail going into your VA file. Um, so... Again, as I mentioned before, I received my specialty care at Walter Reed because that's where I retired from. But I do receive VA health care in, in the Maryland health care system. And, and uh, the clinics are known as CBOC, Community-Based Outpatient Clinics. So they're very comfortable. They're very comfortable, and they're pro-vet. And at these CBOC, there are laboratories. There are labs for blood draw. Some have radiology. Um, some have specialty care coming in. Uh, some have uh, special doctors for POWs. Um, and the DAV, Disabled American Veterans, uh, are there to help you. Uh, one other point about compensation and pension is that I, t- I told the Major General, I said, you know, I'm a retired colonel and a retired doctor. And this 
seamless transition is not that seamless to me. So I always refer a patient or a troop or a veteran to either the Purple Heart or DAV or American Legion where these volunteers know the system and they know how to navigate the VA system. So I think that's a very important pearl to share. Absolutely. I think those are those are tips that, you know, as a civilian myself, I mean, these are things I, I, I don't and didn't know. And I think it's really helpful to understand the services that are available to our veterans and make sure that our, our patients have the proper paperwork and that they're getting access to care. I think these are really great, great points. Uh, before we close today, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I really have to emphasize sleep. The young troops that were deployed had to be ordered to rest, and rest meaning shut down those electronic things that you carry around and get good sleep. And then post-deployment, sleep is very important. Sleep is so important. As you know, patients with sleep apnea develop hypertension. And then when you start to treat people with their hypertension, myself, I came off active duty and the VA physician said, why aren't you taking your hypertension medication? I said, well, I thought if I had an omniectomy, I wouldn't need it. And she didn't get it. But the, the, uh, once you treat sleep apnea with good CPAP, you can take people off their blood pressure medication, and then they can start to exercise and decrease that BMI. So then that in itself will affect their sleep apnea. So I always go after sleep because it's very, very gentle. Everybody talks about sleep. I don't need to talk to you about your trauma. I don't. You can tell me if you trust me, but in the beginning, I go after cardiac symptoms and I go after sleep. And then as you start to trust me, then I can peel the onion. And as I mentioned before, when you peel the onion, it might make your eyes water, but it has to be done. And you can then enter and connect with that patient. But I always approach patients from a primary care perspective and I speak openly and freely with, with my behavioral health colleagues. And they share with me because, you know, we each bring a different art to the art of medicine. Well, I think, again, that's very, very helpful, very helpful advice. And I really want to thank you, Dr. Bograkos, for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for giving me the privilege of speaking to you and sharing. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cardle, and you've been listening to ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com slash everydayfamilymedicine. Thank you for listening.